want to say something, Brother Rick? Amen. Amen. Well, we're in the book of Colossians this morning, the third chapter. We're actually, we're picking up almost right where we left off last week. We're going to overlap one verse, verse 17 that we read last week. We're going to start there and go to the end of the chapter, verse 25. Colossians 3, 17 to 25. It says, and whatsoever ye do in, the word, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Father, we come to you this morning in the powerful, mighty, precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We ask now that you would bless us with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. That you would, Lord, say those things that are necessary to be said on this day. That you would help us to have understanding ears. And Lord, I pray that you would even go to hearts and minds and say more than a preacher would ever say. And minister to those who are in this congregation on this day for your honor and for your glory. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray and all the people said, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> When you think about fatherhood and these, the five P's of a godly father, we just preached on Mother's Day, the five P's of a godly mother. And now the Lord seemed to just bring us, me back to that, that thought process. But there were these, I want to share a little story with you kind of about fatherhood. And there was these four expectant fathers in a hospital waiting room. And many of you know this is probably a story from days gone by because in today's world, you don't wait in the waiting room anymore. You go right on in there and you help and you aid the doctor, don't you? And you don't get a discount, so, but you do. So these four expectant fathers, they're waiting out in the waiting room and the, the nurse arrived and she announces to the first man, she said, congratulations, sir, you are the father of twins. He said, what a coincidence. He said, I work for the Minnesota Twins baseball team. And the nurse returned in a little while to the second man. And she said, you, sir, are the father of triplets. And he said, wow, that's an incredible coincidence. He said, I work for the 3M Corporation. My buddies at work will never let me live this one down. He said, then an hour later, the nurse come back. This time she goes to the third man. He's been quiet over in the corner. She announced that his wife had just given birth to quadruplets. Stunned, he could barely reply, don't tell me another coincidence, asked the nurse. 
After finally regaining his composure, he said, I don't believe it. I work for the Four Seasons Hotel. After hearing all of this, the, everyone's attention turned to this fourth guy who was sitting over by himself. He, he just fainted. He fell out on the floor. The nurse rushed to his side, and after some time, he slowly gained back his consciousness. And when he was finally able to speak, you could hear him whispering repeatedly the same phrase over and over. I should have never taken that job at 7-Up. I should have never taken that job at 7-Up. We realize that being a father can be a devastating thing sometimes. I know when, I, when, I, when Ashley and I got married, and of course she wanted to have children right away. She didn't want to wait, and, and, and that was fine. It was, and, but it was scary. I mean, being a father is a scary thing. If I could just, those aren't theological terms, those are just human terms, it's just scary. It was to me anyway. It's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. And, and when you try to do things well, it just, it's a fearful thought to be a father and to have to raise children and to, and to do it right because you want to do it right. And, and so it is a little bit scary. And so we want to talk about today some of the things that come along with the territory of being a father and more importantly, being a godly father. Because from the pulpit, we're not going to talk about being worldly fathers. We're going to talk about being godly fathers. And some of us are here today, and our fathers aren't with us anymore, and we just have memories of those fathers. Others of us, you know, we have memories of fathers who weren't godly fathers. But we have the opportunity as men in the church, whether we have had wives who have birthed children, or whether we're just an example to all of those who are around us, we have the ability to change what has happened throughout the generations and change that lineage and to make the further and the future lineage to be godly. We can raise our children. It doesn't matter if we were raised by ungodly fathers, but we can change all of that here today, men. We have an opportunity and a privilege to change the lineage of everything that has taken place in our lives. And for generations to come, you could probably look back in every one of our family trees for de generation after generation after generation and find ungodly men living ungodly lives, raising their children in ungodly homes, treating their wives in ungodly ways and their children. It's just the way that this world is. The majority of people don't serve Jesus Christ. Amen? But we have the opportunity as men to change all of that. And it's up to us to do it, to change those things. So the five P's of a godly father are these for this day. The provider, a protector, to be patient, a professor, and a priest. In Colossians 3.18, we see this, this uh, verse. Where, in fact, let's look at these uh, two verses here. Just two verses real quick. Verse 18. This is for you fathers this morning. This is my gift to you. Verse 318. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. And then go down to verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And that concludes my message. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> Just wanted to help you dads out this morning. But you know the Lord isn't going to let us off that easy, is he? 
It's interesting that as you get into this and you start looking at the structure of the home and the roles of the father, that it's hard even on Mother's Day as we address some of the roles of the father. On Father's Day, you have to address some of the roles of the mother because it is with that that union and that foundation of the home that society is built. And so it's interesting to know that in this uh, passage here in Colossians and chapter 3 and verse 18, that this word submission, it is, it's the same word that's used in Romans chapter 13 when it describes how we should submit to higher authorities that are ordained by God. And so there is a hierarchy here. In Ephesians 5.24, it says, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. This is the biblical mandate. This is what we live under. But God loves us. He cares for us. But he has a lot to say about the fathers. As the provider in the home, the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 5, 8, it says, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. See, it is a responsibility of the father in the home, the dad, to be a provider for that home. And when we talk about being providers, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10, it says, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. See, it is a biblical mandate that the men be workers in the home. Even as Adam was in the garden and God had given him the ability and the duty to take care of the garden, that has not changed. It is the man's responsibility. And in this day and in this hour when it seems like a lot of men want to live off of women and want to take advantage of, of the government and all of the other things that go along with those scenarios, it is mandated biblically that a godly man will provide for his family. It doesn't matter if, you're, if your wife works out of the home and she makes more money than you. That's not what I'm saying. That, in fact, that might be a blessing sometimes. But what I am saying is the man, biblically, is supposed to take care of his family. But it's more than just providing material goods, isn't it? To be a provider, it encompasses far more than just a roof over our heads and food on our tables and clothes on our back and shoes on our feet. It's much more than that. When you look in, the, in verse 19, it says here, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. See, one of the provisions that we're to supply our families and our, and our homes is that we provide our, our wives with love. That is part of being a provider. And we provide our children with love and with affection that they need to grow up. That, those are part of the mandates, the biblical mandates of a godly husband and a godly father. So you don't have to have children. You still have biblical mandates from God as the man of the home to love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. Amen? We have to make sure that we provide our family with our time. See, it's important that we don't just give all of our time trying to provide the necessities of life, but then we don't provide our family with our time because they need us to be there as well. They don't just need the stuff that we can produce with the skills and the talents God has blessed us with. They need our time as well, that's very important that we don't get so busy with providing that we don't provide our time. Amen? We don't want to provide the material and neglect the spiritual and the emotional. And sometimes I realize in this busy world and sometimes we don't get a lot of quantity of time. So we have to be dedicated. We have to be focused. We have to be prayerful that the time that we spend is quality time, that it means something. Sometimes our kids just want to 
come up and sit on our laps or ride on the lawnmower with us or or in my case, every time I go get on the bobcat, Stephen comes running across the yard. He wants to be part of that. He just wants to ride along. And, and so it's a, but it's quality time that means something. When they, when they need to talk to us, sometimes I have to in my busyness. I realize they run up and they, and they need to talk to their dad. Sometimes it might seem meaningless to us what they're going to bring to our attention. But we have to be mindful that our time is probably one of the greatest commodities we could give our families. And so when they have those important things, they want to come and tell you. And it might simply be that their little car just broke or that something over here or something about their job or, or whatever it might be, we got to be attentive to them and provide them with our time. We should not sit back in judgment and think that that's meaningless and unimportant, but we should provide our children, our wives, and our family with our time. It's probably the most important things we can do as a provider. We're also called by God to be the protector of our families. I mean, it's up to us to protect our families. We don't want when there seems to be a noise in the middle of the night and the little lady, she's pounding us on the side to go look into it. We don't just pretend we're asleep and allow make her go try to find what the noise is. Amen. We, got, we need to be the protectors of our homes. God made us the stronger vessel for a purpose and we should utilize that for his glory. Sometimes we are charged to protect our family from both the physical harms of this world, burglars, intruders, but we're also charged by Almighty God to protect them from emotional harm. That means we ourselves should not be the culprits of bringing emotional harm to our families. Sometimes our words can be those things that can bring emotional harm to our children and to our wives, and we got to be careful of that, and we have to let the Lord guide us in those endeavors. Sometimes we're called that we have to protect our wives from our children. Amen? Sometimes our children try to manipulate our wives when we're not around. They, try to, they might talk down to them. They might disobey them. And it's up to the man of the home to make sure that that doesn't happen. It's up to us as men to make sure that our children aren't abusing or manipulating their mothers. And it happens a lot because men and women are made differently. And women oftentimes do give in to the children. I know my wife does. She'll give in quicker than, I mean, it is incredible. They, manipulate, they can manipulate her and, and just say the right things. Oh, Mom, boy, your, your eyes sure look pretty today. And, boy, what do you want? The floodgates open up. But you have to be there to try to help her out. And, and so that's part of the duties. Because the, the husband and the wife are the foundation of the home. The children are what is being built by that foundation. We never, we never subject the foundation to damage. We always have to protect the foundation of the home. That's part of our duties. Sometimes we are called by God, oftentimes every day in this day and in this hour, to protect our family from this world system that is designed to destroy the family. If you haven't noticed it, everything that is about our world is to destroy the home. It's to destroy. They have made program after program on television and movies that destroy what manhood is all about. Now we have terms in our society called toxic masculinity, when in fact a lot of what they call toxic is biblical manhood. When the man is the head of the home and the woman is subject to the man and the man is leading his home in a godly way, oftentimes that would be considered toxic in our culture. 
and yet God has called us to that. So we not only have to stand and protect our children against the mandates, against the school systems, against all of the, the garbage that's being flushed down the pipeline in their school books and in, the, and in the reconditioning of their minds in this day and in this hour to teach our children that socialism is good, that men are, are bad, that men can be women and women can be men and all of these crazy ideas that are out there. It is up to you and I, men, to stand up and to do what is right and to protect them from the garbage that is coming into their, their hearts and minds. And to protect them because the next generation is dependent upon you and I being strong men of God. And to be able to, to give the dictates of the living God what is found in the living word of God. If we cannot do that, everything that we teach our children, if we come up against these social disorders that are coming down the pipeline towards us, we have to do it with the word of the living God. We cannot do it by philosophies of men. We cannot do it just because we think it's a certain way. There is absolute truth, and it is found in the word of the living God. And we as men have to know this word. I was proud of our men this morning that as we had the, the trivia questions, that they were able to answer those questions. We need to be students of the word, men. We cannot afford to leave it up to the women to do all of the spiritual guidance in our home. I know that's a further point on down the message, but it needs to be said now as well. We have to do and stand up and be what God has called us to be, and that's the protector of our home. You know, we, we are in a month that seems like Father's Day. We find ourselves in a month called June that has now been since President Obama was in office. The whole month was, is considered LGBTQ plus month. Not just a day, not just a week, not just a short period of time, but the whole entire month. I still remember when I listened to him stand on television and say that he was proud and said the White House looked great in those rainbow colors. Well, I want to tell you that as men, we are not giving over the rainbow to this wicked and perverse generation, but the rainbow is a promise of God that he would never flood the earth again. And that's why we stand as men against all of these things that are in this world today that are ungodly. They have raised their self up. They have placed a banner up and stolen the symbol of Almighty God, His promise to mankind, and have hijacked it and have made it a symbol of hatred against God and rebellion against His mandate and His ways. And God loves us. He obviously made us for a purpose. He made us and gave us these commandments. I teach my children at an early age. I say, why did God give us the commandments? Why do I have rules in my house? To protect us is the correct answer. See, we are to be protectors. We create rules and boundaries in our homes to protect our family and our children. But we also have to protect them when they go outside the home because they're going to be subject to all of these ideas. And we have to back it up with the word of God. And, and so we have to realize that we not only have to protect them against the physical things in this world that will come against them, but the spiritual onslaught is real, and it is effective. And that's why 75% of our children, when they leave high school and go into college, walk away from the church. They walk away from the faith, even the ones who are raised in the church, 75%, because we're not giving them godly dictates. We're not telling them, this is why we think what we think. This is We have to do the study in ourselves, men. We have to know the Word of God. And then that in turn protects our children from this world system. We have to protect. But it's not just those perversions that are, that are in the world that it's so easy to point to when we say the LGBTQ plus community. And we're not against any of those people. God can save them, sanctify them, set them free. They are no less than we are. They are certainly, can be, 
children of the living God. And by the way, when we sing, I'm a child of God, you're only a child of God if you have repented, been born again, purchased by the blood of Christ, turned from your sins, and are now following the living God. Now you're a child of God, and you can sing that song with the church of believers. But we also have to stand against lying and cheating and stealing and all the other sins that this world calls normal fornication, adultery. We stand against all of those things in the church, amen? We don't just pick and choose one little thing over here, a group that we want to pick on. We don't do that in the church because we are standing against all sin, not just some sin. Not just sin in somebody else's life, but if we find ourselves in, a, in the Lord convicting us of something as time goes on, that he is showing us a sin in our own lives, we have to stand against that with equal fervor and get on our knees before God as men and say, God, cleanse me from this, get it out of me, purge me and make me holy in your sight because it's a holy man that's going to bring the holy word of God and produce holy offspring and make a holy generation for a holy church one day. And so our Father's goal found in John 17, 12. He says, this is Jesus praying to the Father in his high priestly prayer in the garden. And he says, all that thou hast given me, I have lost none. I have kept. That's the goal of the father in the home, isn't it? That all that God has given us, all the children he's blessed us with, that we were able to raise them and to give them the things they need and we would lose none. The third P in being a godly father is to be patient. This is where it really hits home for me sometimes. This is where the rubber really does meet the road. And I'm telling you, as I, as I prepared for this, and I was like, God, surely that's not one of the five Ps. This, this just can't be. And the Lord said, oh, it is. And, and this is probably one of the things that I may, if I could be totally transparent, sometimes I, I struggle with this. The Lord has to remind me, Mike, you got to be more patient with your wife. you got to be a little more patient with your children. And so, with your wife, he, he says, be not bitter against them. Sometimes it's that impatience that causes that bitterness. You think that they ought to act a different way. They ought to be a different way. But we have to be able to look at the motives. We should know our wives, men. And when we know that their motive is right, when we know that their heart is right, what they do shouldn't make us as angry as it does sometimes. I'm preaching to me right now. I don't know if I'm preaching to anybody else, but I am preaching to me. If I know that Ashley's heart is for me, I know her heart is for our home. I know that her heart is for our children. I know she wants our home to be a godly home. I know she wants to be a godly wife. So when she does things that may not appear that way, I have to remember that the motive of her heart is to be those things that I know she is. And so even though it might look this way and the enemy might try to persuade me to get angry about those things, I have to be patient with her and not just jump to a conclusion knowing her heart. So we have to know our wives, men, and we have to understand where they are. See, we're called by God to love our wives with a tender and affection, faithfully, even as Christ loved the church. That's what the Bible says, even as Christ loved the church. See, in the biblical Christianity, isn't everything that we do based on the motive of our heart? Isn't that God, how God judges us and how he looks at us based on the motive of our heart? He knows whether we're trying to rebel against him or whether it might just look a certain way on the outside. He sees inside of us. 
And he judges us based on the motive of our heart. Everything is based on the heart. And so, men, that's how we're supposed to be. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. See, Ephesians chapter 5 and then even over into, verse, into chapter 6 is kind of a parallel passage with Colossians chapter 3. Take some time and read that. It's important to know what it says. In 1 Peter 3, 7, the Bible says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace and life, listen to this, that your prayers be not hindered. That your prayers be not hindered. He's telling us if we're not living with our wives in understanding ways, it can affect our ability to pray. It causes a wall. It becomes sin for us. And when it becomes sin, our sin separates us from God. See, a lot of people in today's theology doesn't believe that our sin separates us from God. But the Bible clearly says three different times that our sins separate us from God. So anytime that we find ourselves dabbling in sin, whether intentional or unintentional, the Lord brings it to our recollection, our knowledge, we have to repent of that and tear that wall down and be in right relationship with Almighty God. Well, how we deal with our wives can bring us into a sinful condition before Almighty God. God has convicted me of this. If I'm too harsh on Ashley, he'll convict me. I'll go to prayer and he'll say, we got to deal with this over here, Mike. There's something going on here. And we have to take care of those things. And so we don't want our prayers to be hindered. Because later we're going to find that we're called to be the priest of our home. That's part of our priestly duties. So if we're not patient, we can't be the priest either. See, there's a progression here. we got to be patient with our children sometimes, don't we? takes a lot of patience with children, doesn't it? My thought is either you'll be patient or you'll make little patience. You'll be in the ER with them. But with our children, so there's a, a little story that I want to share with you about being patient with your children. So after tucking their three-year-old child Sammy in bed one, one night... His parents heard sobbing from his room. They hear him bawling and crying over in his room. So rushing back, they find him crying hysterically. He managed to tell them that he had swallowed a penny, and he was convinced that by swallowing the penny, he was going to die. And so no amount of talking was helping them to talk him out of this notion that he was getting ready to die. So his father, in an attempt to calm him down, he put a, took a penny in his hand, and he put it, pretended to pull it from his ear, pulled that penny out, and showed the boy, and he said, look, there we go, got the penny out. The son was so enamored that he grabbed the penny and he, from his dad's hand, and he threw it in his mouth and swallowed it, and he said, do it again, Dad, do it again. <laughs> so sometimes... We got to be patient with our children, don't we? We got to be patient. In verse 21 here, it tells us, fathers, provoke not your children to anger lest they be discouraged. Provoke not your children to anger lest they be discouraged. See, that doesn't mean that we don't make our children take out the garbage or clean their rooms. Amen? That's not what that means to not provoke them to anger lest they be discouraged. My kids get a little discouraged when it's time to take the garbage out. And they get a little discouraged when I make them clean their room. Amen, Michael? 
But it still has to be done. That's not what the Bible is talking about there. It means not to be so hard on them all the time to where they feel like they can never do anything right. That's what it means. We got to be able to give praise to them when praise is due, but we have to be able to give punishment when that's due as well. Both are critically important. Give them praise when it's due and give them punishment when it's due. That's the biblical mandate of the Father. And that takes the Spirit of God inside of a man to discern some of those things. The Bible says, a parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, it says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. See, it's two steps in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. He said, don't provoke them to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That is the biblical mandate for us. And so... Sometimes I've had to back off of what I was saying to my children because what they were understanding me to say was not what, how I intended it. I remember a comedian, Jeff Allen, he was doing a, a stand-up show one time. He's a Christian guy, and, and he said this about his wife. He was talking about his wife, and he would say something to her, and then she would have this strange look on her face, and, she, and he would then ask this question. He would say, what did you just hear me say? Because it wasn't what he intended to say. He said, what did you just hear me say? Because she wasn't reacting the way that he thought she should react. It wasn't a, it wasn't a put down or it wasn't a harsh word, but she was hearing it differently. And sometimes with our wives and our children, we, they hear things different than what maybe we intend them to, to, to hear what we're saying. And I know I do that sometimes. My words can come across differently than what I'm really intending them to come across. And so I have to... Trust the Lord to help me to see that or to look at the look on their face and know that they didn't get it the way that I, I intended it. I remember uh, sometimes just trying to help push them along. Sometimes my intention was just to help push them along and to, to do better and all of these things. And sometimes they've interpreted that as dad's not ever letting up. I can't do anything right. He's pushing too hard. And sometimes maybe we are. And sometimes maybe we're not. But we have to lean on the Lord for that. You know, other things that in patience that can exasperate our children is if we treat our children unfairly one to another. Injustice, they would call it. You know, that's not fair. Anybody ever heard that with your kids? That's just not fair. I know, I know mom just took our, our kids, which is her grandkids, the older ones, on a trip to Tennessee for a, a little camping trip, a vacation. And sure enough, as she began to calculate how she was going to do with Jada and Stephen, Jada quickly began to count the days that she had taken them on vacation and wanted to know, make sure that she got the same amount of days with Grandma that the other kids got. And so she knew if they went for three days, she goes, wait a minute here, then I should get three days as well. See, kids are very perceptive of, of an injustice or what's not fair, aren't they? I mean, very perceptive. And so we have to be careful as dads and as parents, even as fathers in the home, as the leaders, to make sure that justice is always done and injustices are uh, avoided. So we got to be fair with our children. They definitely will recognize inconsistencies. Amen? we got to be careful of fault-finding because sometimes as, uh, that we look... Fault-finding often is the, is the way of the perfectionist. Are, is anybody in here a perfectionist? part-time perfectionist? I mean, there's some in here. I know there is. 
But fault finding is the way of the perfectionist. Because when I look at my own, own life, and if I have a bit of a perfectionist attitude in me, I'm always looking at ways to improve. I'm always looking at ways to modify what I'm doing to make it better. And so we got to be careful with our children and our wives that we're not always doing that to them because it can come across differently than what we intended it to. You know, I, sometimes we just have to stop after we, after we praise them. We give them a little bit of credit. Sometimes it's good to stop there. I remember a couple times we were coming home from basketball games. It was either Michael or Ashton, I don't know. They could have scored 87 points in this game, and it wouldn't have mattered because I'm going to find the one time when they didn't block out right <clears throat> or they didn't do something quite right. I'm going to give them the praise they deserve. I'm going to say, hey, that was great. You did great there. But that one play, you didn't box out. And all they're probably going to remember is dad saying that one play, they didn't do something right. When I didn't really intend it that way, but God has tried to help me, and I've been faithful to listen most of the time. It sometimes comes out, and then he's talking, and I'm listening, and I'm like, sorry, guys, I didn't mean that quite that way. And but we got to be careful. It's just important. And I just found myself doing that. And, and God began to talk to me about that. So how many of you have realized at this point in the message that this sermon is for you? The fourth thing that God has called men to be in their homes is a professor. The teacher of the home to profess godliness, to teach our children the way that they should go. It is our duty as men to teach our children and to train them. We're supposed to teach our children and to train our children, with one exception, potty training. That's the wife's duty. <laughs> I couldn't find a scripture for that, and I looked diligently, but I'm, but I'm sure it's there. I think Brother Roger knows where that's at, and he's going to help me a little bit later where that... Potty training is the training we don't do. But <laughs> Proverbs 22.6 tells us to train up a child in the way he should go, and when they're old, they'll not depart from it. That's what we're commanded by God to do. In the book of Deuteronomy, I want to read just a couple of verses to you. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 through 9, it says this. Make a note, read it later. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 through 9. It says, and these words which I commanded thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be the frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them on the posts of thy house and on thy gates. See, he says, when we wake up, when we walk, when we lay down, at all times, the word of the Lord should be in our hearts and on our mouths to teach our children the way they should go. And oftentimes, the men leave these duties up to the women. And I'm not saying that the woman can't help. The women definitely, we want them to. I mean, the women, oftentimes, if it wasn't for godly mothers, half of us men wouldn't be here today if it weren't for godly mothers. So we're thankful for godly mothers who have carried the torch when the men have failed to be the spiritual leaders in their home. But we're called by God to be the professors in our home. That it's up to us to teach our children. Our wives certainly play a huge part in that to back us up in what we're doing. The fifth and final dictate, and not the least by any means, is to be the priest of our home. The heads of our home. The one who is in charge of spiritual duties in our home. Is the responsibility of the man. 
not the woman. The woman comes alongside and helps and reinforces, and there's nothing wrong with that. I don't mind if Ashley reads the, the I want her. I mean, this is all part of being a godly home. We definitely want praying with the children, reading with the children, doing all the things, teaching them the biblical mandates of the scripture. You know, the first verse we ever taught our children, Ephesians 6, 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's, we always, and so we want to always be teaching your children, but I don't, I love it when she comes alongside and helps that, but that does not get me out of the responsibility. That's what I'm trying to say. Just because she goes to their bed on a nightly basis and prays with them, it doesn't mean that that gets me off of the hook. It means that I'm still responsible, and even if she does it and I see her doing it, as long as I'm making sure that that is getting done in our home. That is very important, but it is the man's responsibility. We're going to answer for that one day, how we ran our homes and what we did. And we often had fathers who didn't teach us these things, who didn't get down on their knees beside our bed and pray with us, who didn't, they, we, weren't, we didn't come to our fathers with our spiritual problems. But we need to be the dads that our children can come to us and can say, I'm struggling with this, Dad. I'm having a hard time over here. The enemy's tempting me over here. I'm really, this, this pressure's getting to me. And I, and I need somebody to pray with. I need some advice. I need some help. Those are the kinds of dads that we need to be, that I want to be. That's what I desire most for my children, that I could be that one that they come to and talk to. That's part of being the priest of the home. As a pastor, oftentimes people come to you with their problems and their issues, and they need prayer and they need advice. But as the priest of our home, we want to be that same spiritual leader, that same icon of spirituality that they can come to and they can see and get hope and get direction from the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, it says, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. See, God has given us an order, a divine order in the home. And he's called us. He said, it's God, Christ, man, women, and children. We have a head too. We don't have, we are not the all supreme being. We are not God in our home. God is God and we are man. God's order is what works best for mankind. And so when we look at this, we, we realize that when we distort God's order, we really just hurt ourselves. And when we hurt ourselves, we often hurt our wives and our children. And by doing that, we often hurt the next generation as well. See, children are like arrows in the quiver. And when we take those arrows out, we are literally shooting them into the next generation, making an impact in the world we live in. How are we doing, fathers? Are we being the providers that God has called us to be? Are we being the protectors? Are we being patient? Are we being the professors in our home? And are we being the priests? of our home that God has called us to be. Some of us sit here today and we have fathers who we have held bitterness against. God can help you to forgive your father. Some of us sit here, we don't have fathers with us anymore and we mourn that they're not any longer here. And we're just thankful to God that they were godly fathers. But a lot of us have fathers who weren't godly and we need to forgive those fathers. We need to let that go. The Bible tells us that if we don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will our Father in heaven forgive us our trespasses. we got to let some things go. we got to be man enough to stand up and say, if God would forgive me, then I'm going to forgive my father, my dad, on this earth. A lot of us carry a lot of pain around from things that our dad did or didn't do. Maybe he wasn't there. Maybe he was there. 
But it doesn't matter. We have to let those things go as godly men. And we got to change the projection and the trajectory of the next generation. Lord, we thank you this morning for your goodness to us. We thank you for godly fathers. We thank you first and foremost for yourself. We thank you that one day you knocked on our heart's door and we responded to that knocking. And as we responded, O oh Lord, you forgave us of all the garbage, all of the sin, all of the rebellion, all of the lust, all of the pride, all of the envy, all of the strife. You forgave us and you washed us clean, washed us white as snow. And we were able to, to say with the Apostle Paul, in such were some of you. We're thankful, Lord, that you're able to wash clean. It's now up to us, O oh Father, to... Uh, to um, to be the priests of our homes, the providers of our homes. Lord, that we would be the professors of our homes. That Father, that we would, through the power of your Spirit, guide our families in the way that you would see fit. That we would be pleasing in your sight. I pray that if there's one here this morning who has just a bitterness towards their dad, that they have not been able to let go, that they have held on to, that they have not been able to forgive, I pray, oh God, that you would bring strong conviction upon their heart that you would cause them to come and that you would cause them to release it today and to be set free from that anger, that hurt, and that bitterness. Lord, dads can do a lot of damage, but dads can do a lot of good too. And it's up to us to make the next generation to train up our children in the way that they should go so that when they're old, they'll not depart from it. I'm thankful, oh Father, that you have given us spiritual fathers in the church that they may not have had children from their own seed, from their own loins, but, oh God, you have made them spiritual fathers and you have helped raise our children, that you have helped, you've given them insight and love and compassion and they have gifts that they have been able to bestow upon those who are being raised around them and that they've made a difference and an impact in the young people's lives in our church. We're thankful that you've given us the blessing of Radiant Life Ministry and the fathers that are here. We thank you for godly dads. We thank you that they're trying to do it right. The motive of their heart is to do it right. They want to follow you, they want to serve you, and they want to raise up these children the way that you have called us to. Father, we love you this morning. We ask for your blessing on the remainder of this service. We ask for your blessing on this song that we're about to sing. If anyone needs your forgiveness or just needs your encouragement, I pray that they would find a place for it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.